0: Lose track of time. I forget anything. Amen. Any good to be in the presence of God? So uh, again, you don't want to miss connecting point uh, next week. They're having a great time there next week. Uh, Dale leads that, and you'll have a great time with that. Well, we're we're staying the course, right? Everybody say stay the course. Stay the course. Yes. So we are staying the course, and we're in a series called Winning Your War. And uh, I have a message today. This is going to be. Uh, This will be one of the most important messages that I preach ever. Um, I'm trying to throw a lot of weight. I've been doing this a long time. This summer will be 25 years. I'm not sure I'll preach a more important message that we all need to hear in the body of Christ than this one. Um, I know in a setting like this, I know most of you have been serving God longer than I've been alive. I know many of you have probably forgot more about the Bible than I've learned. I know in a setting such as this that there are many Christians in here, mostly all Christians, seasoned Christians that live for the Lord. But I'm telling you, um, this this message today is for the church at large and for us to check ourselves. So um, I, I've titled it, it's, it's, it's in the book of Judges, and I want to be uh, mostly in judges and vacillating back to Joshua um, but I, I want you to catch this' We're, I'm going to read a, a bunch of scripture at the start of it and so uh, for because of the length of scripture if you don't want to stand today that's fine I think God understands there's there's a lot that I'm going to read and in getting into this but I've entitled this finish the task everybody say finish the task Um and I would love for everybody to really tune in here today because the next two weeks you don't want to miss um, because I'm gonna I'm gonna be talking about transferring what we have as a treasure in Christ to the next generation, and uh, so you're not gonna want to miss the next couple of weeks because it's gonna be very profound. But I, I want to hit this today. This is gonna be one of those. If you're watching online, this is where you 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 share this, you copy and paste the link, and you send it to all your friends. You Share this on Facebook. You note it. You tell everyone to watch this later. For those of you that aren't here and you know someone that's not here, this is one that you want to share with your family and friends to watch. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get right in here. Finish. Everybody say finish the task. Again, we're just kind of going verse by verse expository preaching over the next several weeks through the book of Judges. And, uh, and, and so I'm going to start right here in Judges 121. It's kind of where we left off last week. And I'm going to read that. If you got your notebooks, write you know scriptures down, notebooks and so forth. But let me dive right in. Judges 1:21. The Benjamites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites. So right off the bat, you have a problem with uh, Israel not driving out a group of people. Let's see if we can catch this theme now. Judges chapter 1, verse 27. 335, but Manasseh did not drive out the people of beth or Tanakh, or Dor, or Iblium, or Megiddo. And their surrounding settlements for the Canaanites were determined to live in that land. So the Canaanites were determined not to leave. Verse 28. When Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer, but the Canaanites continued to live there among them. How many have already picking up a theme here? Verse 30, neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron or Nahalal. So these Canaanites lived among them, but Zebulun did subject them to forced labor. Nor did Asher drive out those living in Acho or Sidon or Halab or Akzeb or Helba or Aphek or Rehob. I'm telling these names. Some of them are hard. The Asherites lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land because they did not drive them out. Neither did Naphtali drive out those living in Beth Shemesh or Beth Anath. But the, Nap- the Naphtalites too lived among the Canaanite Israel uh, inhabitants Excuse me, of the land. And those living in Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became forced laborers for them. The Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country, not allowing them to come down into the plain. And the Amorites were determined also to hold out in Mount Harry's, Ihalan, and Shalbim. But when the power of the tribes of Joseph increased, they too were pressed into forced labor. Going into the next chapter, Judges 2, 1-5, through 5, and then we'll pray. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bokim. And said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you and their gods will become snares to you. The angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites. The people wept aloud, and they called the place Bokim. There they sacrifice, offered sacrifices to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence that is strong here, I feel, and sense you so strongly. And I pray now that your presence would just wrap your arms around us, God. I pray you speak to us the word of the living God. God, I pray, Father God, you help us to grab what it is you have for us today. Anoint me to speak this word in spirit and truth and power and might, not in word and tongue only. I pray let this seed fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. Lord God, we just pray that our minds be centered on you, focused on your word. Speak to us exactly what you have and let us act upon it today. In the name of Jesus, God, we pray and we thank you for these things. And everybody said? Amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind. And my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. Look to your neighbor and say, finish the task. Yeah, 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 yeah. As a matter of fact, high five on somebody else sitting next to you if you're near more than one and just say, finish the task. In Eastern Africa, a troop of about 50 baboons showed up to a nearby village and at first the farmers in eastern africa thought oh they're cute and they enjoyed them but then they become little terrorists they began to tear their farm up eat their corn create a mess get into everything they became a real problem well for the eastern african people uh it was more than just uh you know a nuisance These baboons were eating their livelihood. So the farmers thought, what are we going to do? So they built cages, and they put food in the cages, and they thought, well, we're going to trap these baboons. They'll come in to get the food, and when they get them, we'll trap them, and we'll kill them all, and we'll rid ourselves of these problems. So they set the traps out. They put food. At first, the baboons saw the traps. looked dangerous to them. They're not stupid animals. They wanted nothing to do with it. They let them go. But then after a few days, one baboon got a little bit brave. He decided that the food smelled good, and he wanted some. He was hungry. So he got in there in that cage, and even though he was a little spooked, he started eating, and the food was good. Oh, not just good, it was very good. So before long, he was bringing buddies with him. One baboon after the other started going in these cages, and the farmers just patiently waited. And before long, the entire troop of over 50 baboons were going in those cages. At first, they were spooked when they went in. After a while, paid no attention to it. It became something comforting to them. They liked the food. They enjoyed it. Until one day, they went in and grabbed the food, and the door latched behind them. At first, these baboons were a little bit spooked that the door slammed shut. But they went back to eating. They got comfortable in their cages and didn't realize... That they had trapped themselves in bondage and awaited their own deaths. Do You know, sin is a lot like baboon traps. Deep down, you know it can harm you. But just like that food in those traps, it appeals to the flesh. It looks so good. It feels so good. I want it until finally with the Lord working and saying, Leave it alone. Let it be. Don't mess with it. Just like the baboons, we'll find ourselves in a trap of bondage, finding ourselves buried in things that we don't want to be buried in, addictions and all kinds of other sins. And just like that baboon, we get comfortable because we think, well, my life's going pretty good, you know, God must be okay with it because he hadn't struck me with lightning. Until finally we are so wrapped in bondage and so trapped in our sin that we don't even realize we're bound and dying spiritually. One little thing in your life that you overlook because you feel like, well, everything in my life is going well, so, you know, I'm 99% doing good. That one doesn't matter much. One little thing. Pastor, come on. What could it really cost me? What is this one little thing in my life really going to harm? Joshua 11 22 through 23, I'm going to read some scripture as I go throughout this because I'm painting a picture today and I want everybody to be as still as you can and focus on what God's trying to tell you. I'm telling you this is one of the most important messages I'll ever preach. Joshua eleven twenty-one 21 through 23 says, at that time, Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites from the hill country, giants, from Hebron, Debir, and Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua totally destroyed them and their towns. No Anakites were left in the Israelite territory. Only in Gaza, everybody say only, in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod did any survive. That's very important. I want you to catch that. It's very important. Look at the very first part of the next verse. It says, so Joshua took the entire land. I've got a question. Did Joshua take the entire land? Just as the Lord had directed Moses, he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to the tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. I'm painting a picture here. I'm I'm, I'm laying a foundation. In the book of Joshua, which goes hand in hand with much of the beginning of Judges, you find Joshua 10.40. So Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, the mountain slopes. Together with all their kings, he left no survivors. He totally destroyed all who breed. Just as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. This was their southern victories. From the outside, it appears that Joshua had finished the task. From the outside, the casual Bible reader could easily miss three very important cities that he did not finish off. To the casual Bible reader, he can easily go through Judges 1 and say, What does it matter that they didn't drive out the Canaanites? To the casual Bible reader, you can look at this and say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, Joshua was 99% obedient. But I want to tell you that 1% can come back and bite you. In fact, he did not completely obey. He was 99% obedient. But 99% obedience in the kingdom of God is not enough. We are to be 100% obedient. Everybody say that. with me: 100% obedient. You see, whatever sin you don't eradicate from your life will always come back to bite you. Now I know I'm not going to get no shouting and running the aisles with this message today, but God has something He's trying to speak, and we need to hear this. In Joshua 11:22, He left giants in Gaza, in Gath, and Ashdod. What was the command? The command was to eradicate and destroy everything and to not leave anyone alive. Why? Because those that culture of people back in those days would infiltrate and mix in and turn the Israelites' hearts to idolatry. Now, it's different in the New Testament. But for us, the application is, if you play with sin long enough, you're going to get bit. My older brother used to say, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned, right? And that is very true in what we're learning here today. Uh, Joshua did not completely obey. So let me show you what happens when you leave sin in your life instead of getting it out and letting God take it out. Point number one is this. Sin will leave the enemy a stronghold in your life. I'm going to tell you what the meaning of these three cities, Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod is. And they represent three points of what God is trying to teach us today. See, Joshua had conquered everything, but he left giants and he left the inhabitants in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. Gaza means strong. So when you leave the enemy in Gaza, you are letting the enemy have a stronghold in your life. As a matter of fact, Gaza became a stronghold from the enemy and for the enemy. It became the center of power for the Philistines. What was supposed to be a town that belonged to Israel and the Jewish people, watch this, became a center of power for the enemy. Let me say that again. What should have gone to the children of Israel and been something that was godly and for them became a stronghold. Center of power for the enemy. Everyone needs to hear what I'm trying to say today. Joshua 15, 47 says it this way. Ashdod, its surrounding settlements and villages and Gaza its settlements and villages as far as the wadi of Egypt and the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. What is that? That is where that was being awarded to the children of Israel. Ashdod was supposed to be an Israelite city. Gaza was supposed to be an Israelite city. Gath was supposed to be an Israelite city. It belonged to them. They had the responsibility of driving the giants out but it was their city. But we find, if you fast forward, over a hundred years, I'm not sure I didn't calculate the years, but hundreds of years later, in Judges one, one day, Samson went to Gaza. And he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. And the people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So we have an Israelite city given to them in the book of Joshua. They let the giants stay there. They basically forfeit the city. And now by Judges 16, after his little stint with Delilah and all this, he the people of Gaza, the enemy, comes out against him. As a matter of fact, in Judges 16, 21, you find here, Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to where? Binding him with bronze shackles They set him to grinding grain in the prison. Because of his stint with Delilah, watch this. The Philistines attack. They they capture Samson. Where do they take him? They take him to a center of power for for themselves when it should have been a city of God. They bound God's man in their stronghold. And you know what? This message is for the church of Jesus Christ. Not, not sinners today, this message is for the household of God. If you're not careful and you play with sin long enough, I don't know who I'm talking to on that camera, but I sense it in my spirit. You play with sin long enough, and you'll be God's man or God's woman bound in the enemy's stronghold. Working for the enemy, grinding grain, slaving for the enemy, and not working out of a freedom for God. Is anybody with me today? They took God's man to their stronghold. There are so many people in the church today that are so bound by some kind of addictions. They come in and they praise God on Sunday and by Monday. They're bound by that addiction. They're bound by that pornography habit. They can't put the bottle down. They can't get victory over their anger. They cannot seem to get their relationships fixed. And they love God. They really want to live for Him. But they are in bondage. I want to tell you, just because you're a Christian does not mean you cannot be in bondage. It does not mean you cannot have problems. It gets worse, folks. In Judges 16, 23, the Bible says, Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate. And if it was going on, you're saying that they captured uh, uh, Samson. So now we find that not only is it the center of power for the enemy, the lords of the Philistine, watch this, the leaders of the enemy are residing here. They are bringing God's man to their place, to their dwelling place, and they are making a mockery of him. They are making something of him that says, hey, we're the ones in charge. And I want to tell you under the sound of my voice, there are some even in this building right now that you are wanting to serve God on one hand, but then on the other, the enemy is commanding, the enemy is cajoling, the enemy is controlling, and, and you say, man, God, I just need freedom from this. God, if I could just get free from this. But I know I shouldn't do it, but I keep going back to it. I know I shouldn't participate, but I keep going back. That is the Lord. of the enemy having Control and I'm hearing the sound Of my voice hear me and hear me Clear the power and the Grace of freedom is in this house You cannot get freedom Any old time you feel like it you Can't even repent any old time You feel like it you've got to have the Power of the Holy Ghost there To combine with your repentance And to give you freedom someone say Amen and the phrase that the Lord Gave me this morning was the Grace for freedom is here today somebody say amen the Israelites allowing giants to stick around in Gaza allowed a strong place to be established by the enemy any sin we allowed to stick around in our lives can create a stronghold by the enemy in our lives just a little peep on that website can create a stronghold of pornography in your life this won't be popular today but I'll say it just a little sip of alcohol can create a stronghold of alcoholism in your life. Just, just a little gossip can create a stronghold of slander in your life. Just a little negative post on social media can create a stronghold of backbiting in your life and separate close relationships. I'm coming to preach to somebody and tell you that if you play with a snake long enough, you will get bit. If you play with sin long enough, eventually God will take his hands off and say, okay, have at it. And You'll be bound in something you don't want to be bound in. I'm coming to preach to somebody today. This is heavy on my heart. We found in Judges one twenty one that they didn't drive the Jebusites out. Why is that important? Fast forward hundreds of years. And you'll find in 2 Samuel 5.6 that the Bible says the king, that's David, and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and lame can ward you off. They thought David cannot get in here. So Jerusalem was an enemy stronghold when back in Judges, God gave Jerusalem to the Israelites. David is having to fight a battle. Watch this. He should never have to fight. The Jebusites should have been killed by Joshua and that generation. There should have been Israelites in Jerusalem, not Jebusites. You see, what one generation doesn't destroy from their lives will be passed on to the next generation. Let me say it again. What one one generation does not destroy from their life will get passed on to the next generation. And the next only it will get stronger. It's time we quit passing on patterns and habits of sin down to the next generation. And pass on one of holiness and righteousness and living for God. Do we want to hear this kind of message in the church anymore? Does anybody want to hear Live Right anymore? I know there's many churches that are already throwing me out by now. Do we still have people in America that say, I want to hear the whole counsel of God, and I want to hear what the whole Bible has to say? (laughs) David drove the Philistines out, and the only ones left were the Jebusites. They had a stronghold in in Jerusalem. They, They defeated people with ease. They had a massive, unconquerable fortress, if you will, wall. They made fun of David. Listen, they shouted down, even the blind and those who can't even walk could defeat you. You're nobody. You can't get in here. That's what the enemy will do to you. He'll tell you, you'll never get free of that addiction. You'll never be healed. That relationship will never be restored. You're a nobody. You're a loser. You'll never amount to anything. I'm preaching to somebody. They had maintained, watch this, the Jebusites had maintained a stronghold because others didn't drive them out. Now, contrast that with last week's message. Last week, we found Caleb, an 85-year-old man, said, give me this mountain. And he drove the giants out, watch this, and his next generation, his daughter, the only thing problem she had was, dad, can I have this springs of water? Yeah, I'm going to give you something to bless you the rest of your days. What he dealt with, his children did not have to deal with. I want to tell you something. There comes a place in all of our lives in Christendom where we got to draw a line of the sand and say, I don't care. Just because great great granddaddy was an abuser and great granddaddy was an abuser and granddaddy was an abuser and daddy was an abuser doesn't mean I got to be one. In the name of Jesus, the buck stops here. By the blood of Jesus, no more of that getting passed down to my family. There comes a point we got to take a stand. Somebody say, Amen. Joshua 15, 63, watch this. Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. So now David had got to deal with them. Judges 1, we read it. The Benjamites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem to this day, the Jebusites lived there with the Benjamites. Two tribes of the children of Israel, one-sixth of them, could not get the enemy out. And I'm telling you, they were living, mingling together, and they were a burr in their saddle. There comes a place in our life, folks, where we got to drive the enemy out of every part of our lives. Over 1,500 people died in one of the worst disasters of all time. You know it well. You've heard the story the great 900-foot luxury ocean liner, the Titanic on April the 12th, 19, or April 14, 1912. We know it, that uh, it hit an iceberg, and the iceberg put a big gash in the side and sunk it. Well, an international team of divers and scientists challenged the theory. So using sound waves to probe through the wreckage, Lying two and a half miles beneath the Atlantic Ocean. They discovered that the damage was actually surprisingly small. Instead of a huge gash, they found six relatively narrow slits. Across six watertight holes. They didn't find this giant gash in the ship where water was pouring in. Instead of a giant gash, they found six little slits. Further, a salvage team recovered several of the rivets that secured the damaged hole. Analysis revealed this recently. The rivets were made of low-grade low steel. This has led scientists to now propose that the Titanic sank, watch this, not because of the collision with the iceberg, rather because of a few small rivets of inferior quality. In fact, they're proposing that if the rivets had been made of strong steel and held, then that ship may have never sank. Isn't it amazing that the story we've heard for over 100 years now about an iceberg putting this giant gash and sinking the ship very well may have happened because of a few small rivets. How many of you remember 1986 when the space shuttle? I remember where I was in sixth grade. Sitting in the classroom, I know exactly where I was. I know my teacher's name, Mr. Sanchez. I know the whole deal when he said, I got something bad to tell you. The space shuttle exploded. And when they did research, what did they say? It was one little O-ring. See, folks, it ain't the big gashes in life. It's not the big stuff that destroys it. It's the little things that we allow, the little foxes. Playing with sin, even just one little sin, is more deadly than a lightning bolt hitting you. Why? Because it deals with your soul. Point number two is this. Not only will sin create a stronghold in your life, sin will let the enemy steal the fruitfulness from your life. Let me say that again. Sin will let the enemy steal the fruitfulness from your life. Gath means wine press. It's a place where fruit, grapes is turned into wine. Something less valuable is turned into something more valuable. You see, that's what the enemy wants to do in your life. He don't mind you coming here and singing the songs on a Sunday. He don't mind saying, oh, thank God and all this and that. As long as he can steal what's less valuable and what's more valuable in your life, as long as he can steal from you the fruitfulness of your life, you are of no matter and no cause and no concern to him. He don't mind you serving God. He don't want you being fruitful for the kingdom. As a matter of fact, Gath was given to the Israelites, but yet in 1 Samuel 17, verse 4, we find that Goliath, a Philistine champion from where? From Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel, and he was over nine feet tall. Should there have ever been a Goliath, had Joshua finished the task. Have you noticed, you know, one of the reasons why I think God liked David so much is David finished the deal. David had his problems, but David said, what one generation didn't finish off, I'm going to finish off. I'm going to go kick the, the, the Jebusites out. Goliath's going to die. We're going to take Gav. We're going to take the land back for God. Is there not a cause? Do we not have the Lord on our side? Isn't that what he said? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares to stand before God? In other words, David said, what one generation wouldn't do, I'm doing, and if buck stops here, we're going to leave the next generation in a better place. And guess what? When Solomon got on the throne, he had the whole world to ruin and didn't have to fight anybody. Now again, he had his problems, but there's got to come a point where all of us stand up and say, I'm drawing a line, no more in my family lineage, no more in my church, no more in our city. In the name of Jesus, we're going to conquer every enemy. Somebody say amen. amen. Why? Because what you don't deal with, generations of your family following you will have to. Only it will be stronger then. You ever notice in some families, great-granddad was an alcoholic. Granddad was an alcoholic. Dad was an alcoholic, and now you struggle with it. Or adultery and divorce was great-grandmama's fall, and then it was grandma's fall and mama's fall, and now you deal with it. What I'm saying and God is saying is that that stuff can be broken and destroyed with you so that your children and your grandchildren inherit freedom. Woo! Somebody say Amen. I want to repeat it. I feel it in my spirit. It's been stirring all day. There is grace for freedom in this house today. It got so bad with Gath at 1 Samuel 21.10. That day, watch this, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Gath was supposed to be an Israelite city. And now it's got a king setting up shop. It's the center of political power. So not, so uh, over in, in Gaza, was the center of, of power like military might and all. Here, it's the center of political power. Listen, what you don't destroy, what you don't get rid of, will set up shop and be king over you. In that same chapter The Bible declares that David and his men had to fight four other giants, and one was Goliath's brother, also from Gath. There should have never been five giants David had to deal with. They should have been destroyed. Pastor, it's just one little thing. God understands my little issue. I mean, I'm good over here in all these other areas. God understands this one little thing right here. Look at my life, Pastor. I'm blessed. I mean, I can deal with it. I can deal with this little sin. It never get hurt me. It'll never get the best of me. I got this, Pastor. I got it. A little boy was running, chasing butterflies through a field of tall grass, and he fell. And he complained his eye was bothering. Him. They took him to the doctor. They gave him a little eye salve and sent him home. Went away. Everybody thought it was good. A year later, he started having cloudy vision. This is a true story. They thought, well, something's got to be wrong. We're going to take him to the doctor. They took him to the doctor. And they were all, including the doctor, stunned by what they saw. Apparently, a year earlier, when he had fallen in that field, a little tiny grass seed had got in his eye. It took root in his cornea and began to have two little leaves in his cornea. And that's why it was cloudy. The doctor said, we got to do emergency surgery to get that out or he'll lose his vision. And just like us, if we fall into sin and we fall into willful sin, we can lose our lives. We'll lose our freedom. We'll lose our joy. We'll lose our peace and all the wonderful things that God has for us. But, Pastor, it's just a little tiny grass seed. What's that? It's just one little sin. What's the big deal? It can take over your life. That's what the big deal is. One little sin is a way of implanting itself into our hearts and growing into something that can destroy our lives. One little seed of unforgiveness can can sprout a tree of bitterness and destroy you. How many people have you seen get bitter? And finally, point number three is this. Sin will let the enemy ravage your life. So not only will sin create a stronghold in your life, sin will also steal the fruitfulness from your life. And thirdly, sin will let the enemy ravage your life. Everybody say ravage. Remember, it was Joshua conquered everything, but he left giants in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. Watch this. Ashdod. Do you know what it means? Powerful ravager. When you leave sin in your life, it will powerfully ravage every part of your life. Does anybody believe the word anymore? Here's what it became, the center of idol, idol worship. Look what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 5, 1-2. After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod... Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. In other words, it became the center of religious and idol worship. I'm telling you, if you leave sin in your life, it won't be long. You'll be bowing down to some kind of idol, whatever it might be, money, whatever, prestige, fame, fortune, whatever it is. There'll be some kind of idol you're pursuing now instead of God. In fact, it became such a stronghold and such a problem for the Israelites that if you go forth hundreds of years, you find in Nehemiah a very devastating scripture. Nehemiah 13, 23 and 24. Moreover, moreover in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon and Moab. Watch this. Half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. My God, if there's ever a verse for the United States of America today we have children that have been raised in Sunday school, children that have been raised in church, children that have been raised in vacation Bible school that used to sing praise songs to God. They used to sing, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, he loves the little children. Red and yellow, black and white, we are precious in his sight. They used to sing the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, it's the book for me. They used to sing and glorify God. Only now, they don't even know the language of God anymore. I'm going to preach. Some children raised in the church only know how to speak the language of the world. While they used to sing worship songs and they used to sing praise songs to God, now the only thing they know how to sing is Cardi B, Beyonce, Kanye West, Ariana Grande, Megan Trainer, Justin Bieber, Drake, Lil Wayne, Taylor Swift, The Weeknd. I know most of you don't know who I'm talking about, but all the young people in here do. Lil Baby, Lil Nass Katy Perry, Nicki Minaj Keith Urban and Luke Bryan They know the words to sexual songs They know the words to drug addicted songs They know the rap lyrics To all the murdering this one And killing that one And demon worship And they don't longer speak the language of the church They no longer speak the language of the Bible They no longer sing the praise songs of God My Lord, heavenly mercy When we let sin stay in our lives Our children don't even know how to talk about God anymore. We need revival. That's what I'm praying. God, give us revival. Let young people speak the language of God again. Let them speak the scriptures again. Let them sing praise songs again. Let them lift up their voice and bless the name of the Lord. Instead of songs, that, instead, of, instead of letting blessing flow from their mouths, now all you hear is Im- cursing flow from their mouths constantly. They used to talk about Jesus. Now all they know how to talk about is who they slept with. How drunk they got, how much the party was, and how much money they made on the deal. My God, as a society, we got to get back to where our children come back home, our grandchildren come back home. We need revival again. What you don't finish off when you're strong will infiltrate your life and family when you are weak. I'm telling you, you need to pass this message on to everybody you know. It's time we come back to an altar and say, God, we need you to move again. Listen, a 10-second prayer over our families ain't going to do it no more. we got to pray and seek God as a church. We need revival where hundreds come in and the chains and shackles and bondage of sin is broken and destroyed. If you tolerate it when you can destroy it, you will obey it when you're weak. If you tolerate it when you can destroy it, you will obey it when you're weak. Listen, there is grace for freedom here today. I sense it in my spirit. If you don't destroy it when you can, it will become a center of idol worship. An ashdod that will ravage your life. Joshua and the tribes of Israel in the early part of Judges should have finished the task. But they didn't. So let me close with something that many in the church don't really know what happened. It's right there in the pages of the Bible, but for some reason they don't see it for what it is. 1 Samuel 15, 1-3, and I'm almost done. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over the people of Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them, put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Now to us in the New Testament day, that just sounds harsh, that's tough to hear, but what God was saying was you got to get that sin and that enemy out. Now today our enemy is not people, it's the devil. We're in the New Testament. Jesus has conquered that. Everybody needs to be saved, but God what he's saying now is get the enemy out, get the sin out. So first 1 Samuel 157 through9 watch this. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites, everybody say Amalekites, all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Is he supposed to do that? And all his people he totally destroyed with a sword, but Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These, they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So, he has the encounter with Samuel. We probably, if you've been in a church, so you know, Samuel says, what's the bleeding of the sheep in my ears? You have not obeyed God. Well, he says, oh, I've obeyed God. Look, I only spared Agag and some of the sheep. No, you've despised the word of the Lord. Better to obey than sacrifice. So, we know all that. Listen, when God tells you to get rid of something from your life, he will give you the power to do so then. When you don't obey God, then what God designed for you to destroy from your life will come back and destroy you. Let's find out what happened to Saul when he didn't destroy the Amalekites. 1 Samuel 31, 1-6. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines. Now this is the Philistines, pastor, not the Amalekites. Let's just keep reading. We're in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. Now, let me just stop right there. Caleb's ancestors, because he dealt with the enemy and giants and sin, was blessed. Saul didn't deal with it. His children got killed. Let's go on. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all the men died together the same day. Now stop right there. If most in the church would say, okay, Saul committed suicide, he died by suicide. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 1 and find out how Saul really died. 2 Samuel 1 1 through 10. After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites. So look, Saul wouldn't do everything he was supposed to. But look who again David is dealing with what another generation didn't deal with. And he stayed in Ziklag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. Where have you come from? David asked him. He answered, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened? David asked, Tell me. The men fled from the battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Then David said to the young man who brought him the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I happen to be on Mount Gilboa. The young man said. And there was Saul leaning on his spear. There you see he's fallen on his sword, his spear. With the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. When he turned around and saw me. Remember the armor bearer wouldn't kill him. Paul's leaning on the sword. He has thrust the sword and the spear through himself. He looks around and sees this man. And he says, he calls out to me. Verse 7. I said, what can I do? He asked me, who are you? An Amalekite. I answered Then he said to me, Stand here by me and kill me. I'm in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. In other words, I tried to kill myself, but I couldn't die. I I couldn't commit suicide. So I stood beside him, an Amalekite, and killed him because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. I saw he was wounded by his own sword. He wasn't going to make it, so I went ahead and finished him off. And I took the crown that was on his head. My God, you got to hear this. And the band on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Listen, Saul was commanded by God to destroy the Amalekites. He refused to obey God, and so an Amalekite killed him. Took the crown that was supposed to be on his head, which represents authority in the kingdom of God, and took it somewhere else. Just like Saul, what you don't destroy and eradicate from your life, listen, will end up destroying and eradicating you. There is grace for freedom in this house right here.